I want to ask you this morning which of these two statements I'm going to put on the screen is true today. I want you to think very carefully which one you think is right. Is the first one true? Salvation is by grace through faith, apart from good works. Or is the second one true? Salvation is by grace through faith for good works. Now, at first thought, we may want to say number one is true. All of our lives we have been taught that there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. So no amount of good deeds, no self-improvement, no religious activity can earn our way into heaven. It is only by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior that we will ever become children of God. Now, all of that is true, isn't it? Yeah, I just said that. It's all true, absolutely. But I want to ask you, do you see a problem with statement one this morning? Is there a limitation with it? Well, if you think carefully, what you will see is there is no goal. There is no purpose. There is no outcome. You see, if we affirm that statement number one is true, essentially we can live unchanged lives and still claim that we are Christians. But I want us to understand today the Bible is absolutely clear. Salvation always has a goal, it always has a purpose, and it always has an outcome. That purpose is to glorify God by following the Lord Jesus Christ and doing good deeds as He defines those good deeds. You see, statement true is really the white one. Statement two is really the white one because it shows us why God has saved us by His grace. Last Sunday, um, somebody asked a very important question. They turned it in at the close of the service as we were talking about what the Bible says about false teachers. And listen to this excellent question, Pastor. Does Matthew 5.19 apply to all Christians or only to false prophets? Do we recognize all Christians by their fruit or only false prophets? That's an excellent question. It's a very, very penetrating, excellent question. Jesus' answer is emphatically yes. All Christians are recognized by their fruit. In fact, as he continues to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount, he moves from false teachers to false followers. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 7. And I want to read for you verses 21 through 27. But let me remind you how this section begins. Speaking about false teachers in verse 20, Jesus says, Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. But now he moves on. And he applies the same thing. 
to all Christians. Would you follow along as I read these very penetrating words? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will plainly tell them, the idea here is I will say this right to their face. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. One question is being answered in these verses. What is the telltale sign that we belong to Christ and we are going to heaven? That's what Jesus answers. Now this morning, here's what he does. He gives us a principle. And then he applies that principle in the well-known parable of the wise and foolish builder. Today, I want us to look at the principle. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, we will look at the parable of the wise and foolish builder. But I want to come to the final message today in the Sermon on the Mount, entitled what? Jesus has to say about two foundations. Now, I want to say to you today, this is a very penetrating sermon. A very penetrating sermon. And I need God's help. I need the help of our Savior. And I want you to just bow with me in prayer this morning as I call upon our Lord to help me this morning. Would you bow with me? Gracious Savior, I need your help so much this morning. Oh, blessed Lord, where there is fear, may you grant courage. Where there is the desire to please, may you enable me to please you alone. Where there is the tendency to confuse or water down. Oh, blessed Savior, may I be clear. Oh, God, every steward you have said is required to be found faithful. And today, may I stay as close to the words of Jesus, as penetrating as they are, as I can. May I, above all things today, be faithful to you. Grant us minds to understand, hearts to receive, and wills to obey. 
May lives be changed today by the power of God's word. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's look at the principle this morning that Jesus is teaching us in verses 21 to 23. And that principle is this. The only sure test of having a relationship with Christ is doing His will. That is the acid test for anyone who wants to know they belong to the Savior. Jesus says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now we must make this very clear this morning that Jesus is not talking about how we become a Christian here. For if he did, he would be preaching to us that we become Christians by our own good works. And that is clearly not what he is saying. But what the Savior is talking about is the issue of assurance of salvation. You see, he knows that it is very possible for us to be grievously self-deceived. He understands that. Another great question that was asked last week came from one of the very special children in our church here at Bethel. She asked this question, Pastor, do false teachers know that what they teach is false? Isn't that a great question from a little kid? The answer to that is some do, but most are also deceived. I know a pastor who does not believe that God exhaustively knows the future. It is called open theism. He believes that there are actions that we will do tomorrow that God does not know, and therefore he does not exhaustively know the future. He is convinced of that. He is self-deceived. Amen this morning? Yes. But Jesus knows the same thing can happen to us. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that we are Christian. So here in verse 21, in these famous words, Jesus gives us the only sure test of somebody who is truly saved by grace through faith. Notice again what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only, only, He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, The word but there, in the Greek New Testament, it is the conjunction Allah. It is the strongest way of making a contrast. It has the idea of not that one, but only this one. Jesus is making this very clear. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, No, 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 not everyone who says that, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, what the Lord Jesus is saying to us is there can be a profession of faith, but that profession itself does not guarantee where we really stand. Now what I want to do in these verses is I want to see the profession that Jesus says some people make. 
And then I want us to see the verdict that he gives. So let's look, first of all, at what he says about this profession. Notice what he says. Professing to know Christ by itself is insufficient. Isn't that true? We can think that because we know the truth, can say the truth, that that means we have savingly believed. We can have gone through the right motions. We can say all the things that our church says we ought to say. We can be in church on a weekly basis. But Jesus is saying to us, mere profession is not enough. In fact, did you notice how he calls us up short? He begins in verse 21, not everyone who says. And then in verse 22 he says, many will say to me. And he's saying that's not enough. By the way, as we look at this, this is a very impressive profession of faith. You would look long and hard, far and wide, to find a stronger profession of faith than Jesus describes right here. And what he's telling us this morning is we can have a great profession but it's an insufficient profession. I look at that this morning and I say, is that you? Is that me? Let's look at this profession of faith this morning, all right? First of all, notice Jesus says it can be a polite profession. In Jesus' day, during his ministry, the word Lord could mean sir. So that when most people came to Jesus, not knowing the full depth of who he was, when they called him Lord, they simply meant sir. Now, it was the most respectful, courteous way that you could approach somebody that you considered to be important. It's a very polite approach. If you listen to old-time preachers... One of the things you'll find is many times in their sermons, they refer to Jesus as our Lord. And they will say, our Lord taught this, or our Lord did this, or consider what our Lord has for us. What those old-time preachers are expressing in that expression, our Lord, is their devotion to the Savior. What they are doing in that expression is showing great high respect for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this profession has that kind of respect. Look at the second thing about it. It is an orthodox profession. Do you know Jesus' Lord was the earliest theological ramification and statement of the early Christians? Uh, When they would gather together on uh, their days of worship, as they would uh, greet one another, the one affirmation they would give to each other is, Jesus is Lord, and it clearly meant Jesus is deity, he is divinity, he is God. Now I want you to notice here in this confession, when Jesus is talking about this word Lord, that's what he means. Uh, The Greek word Lord that is here, it is the word kurios. 
In the New Testament, it is always the translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh in the Old Testament. So to call Jesus Kurios is to say he is Yahweh, God of the Old Testament. Notice also in verse 21, Jesus describes God as my Father. Now all of us as Christians, we know that God is our Father, but Jesus means something far more unique. He is talking about the eternal relationship that he had as the exclusive Son of God, the second person of the triune God, who from all eternity has had face-to-face fellowship with God. And that unique relationship is what he means when he says, My Father. It is an expression that he is God. Look down at verse 21 again. Jesus says on judgment day, all who do not know him, he is going to say, away from me. Do you know what he is saying right there? He claims the right to determine the destiny of every person. Think about that with me. The decision as to who goes to hell and who goes to heaven is in Jesus' hands. Now, I know something about this. I know that only an all-wise God with all-sufficient wisdom of every person is capable of making that decision. Am I not right? And when Jesus says, I'm going to be the one who determines the destiny of every person, he is claiming a prerogative of God alone. You want to know what I discover here? This is a highly orthodox profession of faith. It gets the main point right. You can't get any closer to the center of Christianity than saying Jesus is God. This Sunday, and on every Sunday all around the world, there will be many people who will recite the Apostles' Creed, and they will say the Lord's Prayer. I went to church for five years in Dallas, Texas, and in the church that I was in, every Sunday we said the Apostles' Creed, And we recited the Lord's Prayer. Can I read for you the Apostles' Creed from our hymnals? Let me read this for you. Some of you come from that same background that I was in. Listen to this earliest of Christian creeds. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into Hades. The third day he rose again from the dead. He descended and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And all of us who know that great creed know how it ends with one word all God's people said amen Amen. that is as orthodox as it can get but here's what Jesus is saying affirming the truth about Jesus does not necessarily mean we know him Late in his life, John Wayne 
had a little baby girl. One day on national television, John Wayne said, waxing very nostalgic, I'm going to raise my baby girl in the right way, and I'm going to teach her the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to teach her some of the Psalms. But the truth about the Duke's life was he lived his entire life apart from the things of Christ. And you can affirm all day long the Lord's Prayer and some of the Psalms and even the Apostles' Creed. But Jesus says that alone is not enough. Notice that this can be a fervent profession. Twice here, Jesus says, the people he's referring to say, Lord, Lord. That is a figure of speech. It is a doubling. Whenever we double something in a situation like this, we use it with high emotion and with emphasis. You know what this is, Lord, Lord? It is the strongest way possible, the most emotional way that you can claim a relationship with Jesus. A number of years ago in my very office, I led a young father to the Lord. After he had prayed, he was very, very emotional. And he said in my office, he said, I'm going to follow Jesus 100%. I had never heard a new convert say that, and I thought, wow, I'm expecting big things from this father. He came to our church for a few Sundays. And then he stopped coming. Today he's divorced from his wife. He left the business that he built with his own hands. And the last I heard, he had mysteriously moved away from the area. He is further from God today than he was on the day he said, I'm going to follow Jesus 100%. And you ask me, what happened? What happened? Emotional fervency is no guarantee. We know Christ. The last thing about this profession is, I think, one that troubles me the most. It can be a spectacular profession. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Now follow me here very carefully. Look at the conviction that is made about their relationship to Jesus. They claimed that in the name of Jesus, they had done supernatural works in service to God. Uh, the word name that is used here three times, it stands for all that the person is, therefore it stands for Jesus' power and authority. And when they say three times, in your name, the preposition in can carry the meaning of with, with your name. So what they are saying is, we had the name of Jesus as a weapon we could wield with power and authority. 
By the way, one of the things that is so common in our day is people use the phrase, in the name of Jesus, almost as a mantra. Are you with me? I've heard pastors who who give this impression that in the name of Jesus is sort of like a, a magic wand. And if you just sort of wave over things in the name of Jesus, you automatically have a supernatural power that will change things in your life. It's the very same thing that Jesus is describing with these people. Now, I want you to notice with me this morning the amazing service they claim to give to God. First of all, they claim to prophesy in Jesus' name. Prophesy means speaking in the name of God. Either foretelling, as I'm doing right now in preaching a sermon, or foretelling in telling details about the future. Can you do that and not be a Christian? Balaam did. Balaam in the Old Testament gave an accurate message from God. But the Bible says he was a hireling who was in it for the money. And he died very, very tragically in sin. King Saul in 1 Samuel spoke under the spirit of prophecy, but he ended up committing suicide. Saul was one of only three suicides in the Bible. Think about this. A few years ago, the Atheist Club um, at the university here invited a former Assemblies of God pastor to address whoever would come as to why Christianity is not true. Can you believe that? Can you believe all those days that he was in his church as an Assemblies of God preacher like I am preaching this morning and had a congregation before him and they heard him declaring the word of God and all of those people would have thought he is certainly a follower of Christ and is close to the Lord and preaches wonderful things from the Bible and yet he rejected his entire faith and was invited by the atheist club to teach at the university why Christianity is untrue. Notice they also cast out demons. Did you notice that? Can you do that and not be a true believer? Judas did. Sometime look up Luke 10 verse 17 and there Jesus gave to all the apostles including Judas the power to cast out demons. And the Bible says that when they came back, they reported to Jesus all the things that they had done and how the demons were subject to them, including Judas. Notice the last thing they did. They performed many miracles. Verse 22. The word miracles here is the regular word for miracles in the Gospels for Jesus' miracles. Very interesting word. It is the Greek word dunamis from which we get our word dynamite. It is talking about public miracles that are spectacular and powerful. And did you notice here that Jesus does not suggest that these claims are false or didn't happen? 
And we have to say, don't they prove that the doer of these things is truly born again? How could you do these things and be lost? May I quote to you a couple of verses this morning that are so needed in our day? Matthew 24, 24, Jesus says in the end times, many false Christs and false prophets will arise. They will do great signs and miracles even to the deceiving of the elect if that were possible. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 that when the Antichrist comes, He will come with the working of Satan, with Satan's power in all kinds of deceitful miracles, signs, and wonders. Oh, what many people fail to realize this morning is Satan can perform lying wonders, can he not? Several years ago, some Christians here in Marquette brought to our town a faith healer. And they wanted us to put up the posters for this event here at Bethel. We said no. One of them said to me, well, Pastor, don't worry. Because he gives all the glory to God and all the glory to Jesus for all the healings and miracles that happen. So, Pastor, do not worry. You know what that proves? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Some of the miracles that I heard that occurred were downright ridiculous. I thought to myself... How can Christians be so gullible? Others were more plausible. Maybe they happened, maybe they didn't. It doesn't matter. Anyone who claims supernatural power from Jesus as their promotional stick is not to be followed or not to be listened to. Such wonders prove absolutely nothing about that preacher's salvation or holiness of life. In fact, such claims may even prove the opposite. Like here, Jesus says about these folks, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And yet... They were false believers. All of us know that Benny Hinn has claimed multitudes of miracles in his miracle crusades. Do you know not one of those miracles has ever been verified? Not one. Many have been falsified. Two women were told in one of his miracle crusades that they were healed from cancer. Got their hopes up. Thought, praise God, thousands of people watching and affirming. 
Six months later, they both died. In my former church, we had some people who went to one of his miracle crusades. I was so grieved. So grieved that as a pastor, I had not taught them better. Now, what is Jesus' verdict on all of this? I mean, if we can make this kind of a profession, and and it doesn't necessarily mean we are saved. What is his verdict? Let me give it to you this morning. Here's the verdict. Knowing Christ is real in our lives when it results in living for Christ. This is the only safe test for every Christian. Would you look at verse 23? Then I will tell them plainly. It has the idea, I will tell them to their face. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I think this is one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. If you can find a sadder verse, would you let me know? Here are people on the brink of eternity. They are expecting welcome from the Savior. And yet what the Savior says is they are self-deceived and they will be shocked to learn what he says to them. Now, I want you to notice that they are self-deceived in three very critical areas. Let me just point them out this morning. Number one, they think they are going to heaven, but they are going to hell. Jesus says to them, away from me. That is actually a quotation from Psalm 6-8. If you go back to Psalm 6-8 sometime, you will notice that it is an expression of total rejection by Almighty God. Uh, When we want to banish somebody from us or reject them, one of the strongest things that we can say is, get away from me. I've only had that said one time in my life. And it is so memorable to me that I have never forgotten. And now here is Almighty God saying, away from me. We do not know the exact nature of hell. Some of what is said in the Bible about hell is figurative. Some of what is said is literal. We do not know the exact nature of that place, but this is the worst eternal separation from God. That is the worst thing about hell. The God who made us for relationship with himself says to us when we face him, away from me. And he says it forever. Notice the second way they are deceived. They thought they had a relationship with Jesus, but they did not. He says to them, I never knew you. 
Now, in the Bible, that expression to know somebody means intimacy of relationship. It is used in marriage. The Bible says Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore a son. It is talking about intimacy of relationship. To know Jesus is what he describes in Revelation 3.20. And by the way, that verse is said to the church. It's said to us. Behold, I stand at the door, says Jesus, and I knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he will eat with me. Jesus is describing intimacy of relationship in which we enter into fellowship with him. You see, to know Jesus means you've received his grace. You've been cleansed by his blood. You've been made a new creature. And now you are walking in fellowship with him. Third thing they are deceived about. Their lives and how they lived proved they were phonies. Jesus calls them evildoers. A very interesting word is the Greek word anamas. Ah means no. Namas means law. It means no law. Jesus is describing the person who lives as if without God's law. It is a rejection of the law of God as interpreted by Jesus for us because he's the revealer of God. What's interesting is it's in the present tense. Jesus actually means you practice lawlessness or wrongdoing. It is not occasional wrong. We all do that. But it is consistent wrong. In this context, one Bible student says, this is what evildoers means. It refers not to any outward conduct, but to an inner state, a condition of the will. It is a will that has never been changed. It doesn't love Jesus or follow his teaching. Many years ago, in the 90s, George Gallup did a poll of Christians in America. What he discovered in the early 90s has remained consistent through the last three decades, polled by others like George Barna. Let me share with you what he found about Christians in America. Fewer than 10% of American Christians are deeply committed Christians. Fewer than 10% of Americans are deeply committed Christians. Would you like to hear the good side of those 10%? They are far, far happier than the rest of the population. Doesn't surprise us. Committed Christians are more tolerant than the average American more involved in charitable activities, and are absolutely committed to prayer. Isn't that wonderful to hear? That's 10% of all Americans. And now let me give you the downside. While many more Americans than this 10% profess to be Christians, 
most actually know little or nothing of Christian beliefs and act no differently than non-Christians. That's Christianity in America. And the greatest tragedy of all is many of them are not Christians. Could that be me? Could that be you? The most perhaps beloved parable of Jesus, the wise and foolish builder, was given to warn us. We may think we have built on the rock when we have really built on the sand. And someday, anticipating being welcomed into heaven, we will hear the saddest words in the Bible. I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Oh God, help us. Oh God, Help us. Help us today. Please bow your heads and close your eyes with me. May you not leave this place until you know where you stand with Jesus. The stakes are as high as anything ever could be. And you need to be sure that Christ is yours and you belong to him. Today, you can say something like this to the Savior from your heart. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I've failed you in many ways. But I believe who you are. You are the God-man. I believe you came to this earth you died for my sins. You rose again that I might have life. Say to the Lord Jesus from your heart, Lord Jesus, I repent. I turn from my own way. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Grant me eternal life. Make me a child of God. 
Would you say, Lord Jesus, this very day, because you have promised whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, believing in their hearts and confessing with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, that one shall be saved. And therefore, Lord Jesus, from this day forward, God helping me, I will follow you. Say to the Savior, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Father, I know today what I've asked people to do, they are unable to do. Our eyes are too blind, our hearts are too hard. Only the Spirit of God can take scales from blind eyes and can take hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh. I pray, O Lord, today that you would do that very thing. Whether we have been in church for many, many years and have just sort of assumed everything is fine, or whether we just came in today, I pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would turn hearts toward Christ. We thank you that there is another affirmation the Savior will make. To all who know him by grace through faith, who have followed him as a result of that salvation, he will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And, oh God, many of us today know that is our destiny. Help all to be sure by the power of your Spirit. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together.